I remember when Blast first came out. I think probably for a solid two hours in our company Slack, it was like, what are we doing in this industry? I hate it here. And it's just like nonstop. I also went out there that I wasn't in that boat. I wasn't roasting from the beginning, so don't put me in there, bro. All right, yeah. Don't fade break. I think that's the lesson we've learned over the past few months. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. March is just around the corner, and I wanted to make sure to give you a quick reminder to not top tick your prices of your DAS London tickets. If you use codes 0x10 at checkout, you can lock in a 10% discount on your ticket. Don't miss out on your chance to get ahead of the curve. I'll see you in London. Before we get into today's episode, just a quick disclaimer. The views expressed on this podcast by either myself or any guests are their personal views and do not represent the views of any associated organization. Nothing in this episode should be construed or relied upon as financial, tech, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. All right, let's jump into the episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. Today is Monday, February 26th, so this episode will be airing on the 28th, Wednesday, and we are joined today by Westy and Brick from the BlockWorks Research team to discuss the latest market happenings. Ren, do you want to get us started with a little news and governance updates? Yeah, for sure. It's been a busy week. I mean, for starters, I can later raise a pretty insane round at $100 million. Uh, sorry, not at $100 million. They raised $100 million from one single VC, A16Z. I feel like that's pretty rare in the crypto space. Normally, you get like 30 different VCs on the cap table and then maybe like 20 different other angels, whereas I can later just decided to go full Chad mode and raise $100 million from A16Z. I mean, on one hand, A16Z probably has like $3 billion left to deploy. And so they just wrote this massive check. On the other hand, part of me thinks like, what does Eigenlayer need so much money for, given that like 80% of the ecosystem growth is going to be attributable to, you know, like points and the eventual Eigenlayer token. No one's going to see that $100 million and think that it's going to be used as incentives. But I mean, all in all, a pretty chat move. I think just based off that base alone, this thing's just going to launch at a incredible or incredibly stupid valuation. Anyone have any thoughts on the race? Yeah, I'm wondering where the money is going. Like, are they going to build something extra on top of this still? Like, probably start hiring more people and like start building up some new stuff on top of that is my guess. Yeah, I think they're just going to be the top service provider, like creating different AVSs. Like someone needs to facilitate the creation of these things. I've heard some cool like things being built on the cryptography side, but not necessarily on the like what's going to generate cash flow. And they're really like driving this thing. If it doesn't get adoption, that's on them. So I think that's probably what a lot of the money's going for. But yeah, my first reaction to this was like Eigentoken, that's gonna be the biggest airdrop we've ever seen by a large margin. And yeah, I'm excited for it. I was trying to think through what the valuation they raised at because I don't believe it was disclosed, was it? But you got to think it was at least $5 billion, considering $100 million was raised. I mean, that'd be what, 2% ownership? I'm doing that math on the fly. But then on top of that, we've got um, Avail, which we don't have this written down in our notes, but it just came to me. They just raised $27 million, And you see that they're doing things like kind of similar to like Polygon's aggregation layer, it sounds like, as well as restaking. I, I, I don't know. I didn't look into it too deeply, but nonetheless, I think it's an interesting trend that some of these infrastructure plays like Eigenlayer are starting to vertically integrate and offer other services to pro provide more value to their services. Yeah, I'm excited for all of the events that they're going to throw of $100 million. <laughs> Um, next on the news and the governance updates, we have Ordinals and Bitcoin. So I think Ordinals have been on a tear lately. Node monkeys are trading at, I don't know, 0.3, probably on the higher end of that. And it feels like people are finally picking up on Ordinals. Um, they've been like sort of quiet, uh, but I think people are finally re realizing that there's so much capital in Bitcoin and either people A, want that capital to become productive or B, they want to flex that capital. And Bitcoin has never really had NFTs until now. A case in point is, for example, there's a Bitcoin L2 called Merlin, which I don't think anybody has any clue what they do, but they've hit, I think it's 2 billion in TBO, which is like pretty crazy. It's like blast levels of crazy. So I think there's probably more of that to come, uh, to be honest. Bitcoin L2 season's probably just getting started. As far as another season, it's airdrop season, and Parcel announced their token details. Um, they're going to airdrop roughly 7 to 8%. 
of the token supply that airdrop is going to happen in April and April launch a pre-launch futures market with the token currently trading at roughly a 1.7 billion FTV. So for those who are unaware, Parcel is sort of a real estate leverage perp trading platform. <clears throat> you get a leverage trade real estate markets, whether that's like London, Dallas, New York, LA, whatever. Um, but they also have built this really innovative price feed to sort of bring in RWA or real estate prices on chain. I'm going to take a pause there. Does anyone have any thoughts on either of those? I think um, this is one of those projects that could do well because it's like unique. We haven't seen anything like this before. And then it could be easy to like spin up a narrative here. The only thing that I'm thinking about is I haven't used the platform myself, but I'm hearing that the funding rates can get pretty crazy. So like if you're trying to hold a position for a long time, then your gain just get uh, eaten away by the funding rate. So that's like one concern I have with the project over the longer term, but in the short term, like I wouldn't be surprised if it does really well, because it also plays into the kind of the RWA narrative, which, well, now it has kind of died down, but wouldn't be surprised if that makes a big comeback at some point this year. Solana is at like 10 bucks. This was like a year plus ago. And I hopped on a call with the parcel team actually. And they, they pivoted to this perps platform based on real estate prices actually. And they were building something different prior. So I'm really glad to see that they made it out alive because it's safe to say morale was kind of low on that call when I chatted with them. But nonetheless, like this is a very hype project on Solana. And I'm excited to see that they they made it and survived throughout the bear and kept building. I think one of the interesting tidbits uh with this product is the data feed. I think there's real use cases for a real-time price feed of home prices and real estate prices in major cities. So I'm excited to see if that provides the token extra utility that maybe entities that wouldn't normally be interested in crypto would be like, okay, now I need to buy this token because I want access to this data. All right. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Um, in other news, we have Merchant Mode, which is sort of Trader Joe's other decks on Mantle Network. Um, they're proposing to give MEF back as most staking rewards is kind of on the back of the uni proposal that we'll talk a little bit about, a little bit about later. Um, in other news, Athena is currently 5.6% of Perp's OI on Ethereum. And they also say that they would send the yield from SUSDE to 15% from 44% in order to build out the insurance fund. And maybe they'll give out these rewards later, maybe they won't, but only time will tell. But then a day after that, they just... Um, basically went back on that, right? Because you kind of rugged your stakers of 66% of the yield, super rough mathematics there. So I think really bad communication. Uh, I think boosting up the insurance fund is definitely the right move because at some point this trade unwinds like pretty badly. Um, but yeah, just horrendous communication. I know some of you guys have thoughts there, so we'd love to hear them. I just think there's a lot of people who are currently kind of farming the shards on there and then they might not be planning on like staying at the protocol for the long term and then if they hear that okay now my yield is going down uh there's some pushback on that front other than that yeah i agree with you the main priority right now should be just like creating a good insurance fund if something bad happens like it might feel pointless right now but it's there for those situations that you can't kind of predict. Yeah, I took a deep dive down this rabbit hole last week and I actually pushed a flash note out for BlockWorks Research subscribers, which by the way, you can use code 0xresearch10 for 10% off your sub. But uh, I looked through Chaos Labs's and uh, Athena's internal research and basically most of the scenarios assumed a $20 million starting insurance fund size and used historical funding data and basis based and like kind of saw where the fund would accrue. And this includes events like 3AC, Terra, BlockFi, Celsius, like everything terrible that happened over the last year, as well as the ETH proof of stake to proof of, or sorry, proof of work to proof of stake trade when everyone was shorting perps and the, the funding rate got super, super um, positive. Um, so basically though, kind of rambling here at this point but basically the research doesn't include any of the 
other risks outside of funding and basis. So I have a big problem with that just because of the fact that there's smart contract risk, there's exchange risk, there's liquidation risk. Like some of these black swan events that you can't foresee need to be baked into the insurance funds required sizing, in my opinion. And these studies just didn't do that. And on top of that, we're sitting at like a $2 million insurance fund right now. They did just raise $14 million. So I think that's going to get up to $10 million. But either way, all of the studies that they conducted assumed a $20 million starting point instead of a $10 million starting point. So all of this to say, I think that they need to be extremely aggressive right now in uh, building up the insurance fund. And unfortunately, the communication or lack thereof, I should say, is kind of what caused this backlash and made them backstep on going aggressive into building up the insurance fund. So hopefully they'll get that figured out or at least give the Dow like control or some governance here early on. So that way uh, these changes can be made and they won't receive backlash for being responsible. I also think it's wild that they already have 5.6% of all perps OI on ETH. And I'm not sure if this is the case, but I don't believe that their back testing included the fact that they're going to have a material impact on these funding rates, as, especially as they continue to scale up. And so as a result, as they become 10%, 20% of perps OI and ETH, I think it's going to have an incredible impact on what rates look like uh, across different exchanges, et cetera. And so, yeah, I'm curious to see how that impacts specifically the protocol and the need for that insurance fund. Do you guys think that, because, you know, like a lot of people normally look at funding rate and how hot they are as a sign of like market froth. Do you think those dynamics change with Athena? I mean, like probably not so much at 5%, but say at like 20%, you know, everything else may be at like a 50% funding rate and if maybe at a 10% funding rate, um, do you guys think that there's like a material impact there and like how should you view the market or at least like EVE's funding rate market from here on out with Athena? I feel like the the funding rate should, in theory, in a, in a perfectly efficient market, like reflect the inherent yields of that specific asset. So for most L1s, it'd be their their staking reward rate. Um, and over time, as we see sort of strategies like what Athena is doing, where you have delta neutral strategies, where you're long uh, the asset itself and gaining staking yield and shorting on a perp, like eventually markets are going to get efficient enough where those are pretty well dampened over time. And so I think you're just going to look at those funding rates and know that they're taking into account um, some sort of strategy like this. Yeah. If you want a much deeper dive on Athena, go check out our latest Empire episode where our resident research analyst, Matt, gave a fantastic deep dive into sort of everything Athena, especially the risk. Next on the news and governance updates, we have ApeCoin voting for Arbitrum Orbit as sort of their own app chain. I think there were a few contenders there. Optimism, ZK Sync, I think Polygon CDK too, but ultimately Arbitrum Orbit won the vote. And they're doing it in partnership with an entity known as Horizon Labs. I'm not sure what the connection is there. But I think this was a pretty big vote just in terms of like ApeCoin's like name. Maybe not so big in like the app chain will actually become big, but at least like just a brand name, you know. Um and I don't think it means much. Uh I feel like we just got to wait until it's actually built. I wouldn't be too surprised if this thing takes like way, way, way too long to be like built and actually launched. So next on the news and governance updates, we have Gauntlet dropping Aave. This is kind of like a weird one. Um, basically, Gauntlet has been the risk provider for Aave for a pretty long time. They help manage protocol risk, interest rates, loan values for different markets. And on Gaunt, um, last week, basically, Gauntlet said, all right, guys, we're done here. We're having some problems working with the DAO. Sure, you can probably speculate as to why they caught off that engagement. I think they've had a relatively like problematic relationship with a few specific individuals in the DAO. And as Matt on the research team said, right, like it's a hard job. You're interfacing with like God knows, like 20, 30, 100 different stakeholders. All of them are super whiny. All of them want a lot while we've not wanting to pay a lot and it's just a hard job right it's a lot of politics involved and probably less so much like actual quantitative analysis and probably the best example of this is the curve fiasco on Ave, um, where Mitchell Sedone just got like blown out of the water 
but the whole time Gauntlet was saying like guys like you should like reduce the risk you should like cap the LTV you should stop new virus and then everyone just voted Gauntlet down and then in retrospect it was like a pretty stupid thing to do and so yeah that was that was a pretty hard thing to interface with and at Blockworks Research I think we've seen firsthand um how hard DAOs can be to work with but also I think there's a lot that we can improve in that process and as also Blockworks Research is here for that anyone have anything to add for those I think you hit it on the head. I think DAOs are just tough customers and you kind of get crucified, like no matter what you do as a service provider, it's like everything you do is forward facing. And if you step up or misstep just, just once, that's the only thing you're remembered for. Like all the other work that you did, unfortunately, is just goes by the wayside and everyone only recognizes your brand with that one mistake that you made. So I get why Gauntlet's setting, stepping down. It's a 24-7, 365 job. So... I think they did fantastic work and I wish them nothing but the best and hopefully Ave can find a solid replacement. Yeah, strong agree there. All right, next we have a quick word from Osmosis. Thanks to our fantastic sponsor, DYDX. All right, guys, now moving on to our DYDX segment. This week we have Sunny from Osmosis. Thank you so much for coming on. So I'm going to dive straight into it. How has Osmosis worked with DYDX since the DYDX chain launched in October last year? Yeah, we've been, uh, you know, having DYDX join the Cosmos ecosystem has been great. Uh, they definitely helped, you know, bring in a lot of capital into the ecosystem, you know, getting uh, Cosmos native USDC. I think like half of the Cosmos native USDC is on DYDX at this point, and then like 40% of it is on Osmosis. So, you know, I think uh, the two of us together are like making up quite a bit of that usage right now. Um, and yeah, the team has just been really good doing, you know, we've, we've been helping them a lot from like the technical standpoint with like just technical support. You know, we've been using the Cosmos SDK for, you know, four or five years now at this point, uh, from osmosis and before. Uh, and so, yeah, just, they lean on us for technical support and, but then they've, you know, really over the course of the last year or two, just like massive improvement on their like technical side. And they're like some of the best. SDK devs out there on the product side, you know, I think the biggest source of interaction today is uh, that we're they, they use Osmosis uh, stable swaps as the like for swapping between Ethereum native USDC and Cosmos native USDC. So if you're on Ethereum and you want to send USDC to uh, DYDX chain, it sends it to uh, to Osmosis, swaps it to the Cosmos native one, and then uh, passes it on to DYDX. So that's using a project called Squid uh, that sort of enables a lot of that, but with osmosis in the back end. Um, but yeah, we're exploring, you know, other things that we might be able to do in the future, whether it's like, you know, it's probably not going to be for, like probably not this year, but you know, DYDX will probably eventually support uh, multi-collateral uh, systems. And so for liquidations, uh, you know, hoping we'll be able to work together to use osmosis as the back end for a lot of those liquidations. Osmosis in particular ended 2023 on a very high note with Q4 volume up like 250% or something crazy quarter over quarter. And 2024 has actually started off pretty well as well with $1 billion or more of volume for three months in a row. So what can you attribute to the rising attention and volume to osmosis? Yeah, I think it's a combination of, you know, new capital entering the ecosystem and a, a number of new assets uh, that have been, you know, much rooted, uh, much hyped up assets. So, you know, I think the beginning was probably probably with Celestia. So Tia, uh, Osmosis is the main dex for Tia, which is obviously a very popular asset these days. And so uh, I think Tia on a lot of days even has flipped Atom in volume on osmosis so historically adam has always been like the number one token by volume on osmosis but um so yeah with tia but then now we uh then last month we had dimension and in the coming months there's just a lot more projects in that especially in that whole like modular ecosystem many of which will uh probably have their like decks go to market be on osmosis gotcha I know Osmosis has a lot of stuff on the roadmap for 2024, so we would love to hear a little bit about what you have in mind. A lot of the focus is on just increasing access to these uh, assets, right? So both within the Cosmos ecosystem and beyond. So, you know, 
a lot of new assets coming in Cosmos. You have Verachain, Astria, Initia, like all, all these uh, projects that people are very excited about. But then, you know, we're working with a lot of projects like, you know, uh, there is a top 10 market cap asset that is activating IBC within the coming coming month. And so we're working very closely with them to be like their interchain uh, go to market. Um, but then working with like different Bitcoin bridges to, you know, I think Bitcoin is uh, a massively undertapped market in the deck on the spot deck side. So uh, how do we bring in, you know, Bitcoin and have that enter the DeFi ecosystem? Um, and then finally, we're working on a lot of account abstraction stuff. So, you know, I know a lot of people are working on account abstraction stuff these days, but I think most people are taking it from a very like infrastructure standpoint where they're building like infrastructure or like and expecting apps to integrate with it. Um, because we have actually a user facing product, we are starting from a very like, okay, what are the specific product features that we want to enable and then building the account abstraction uh, pieces to enable those specific features. So the first one is this thing we have called one click trading, which basically means you can do trades without having to sign every single time. There are other apps that actually have this, including DYDX. Uh, so they were actually one of probably the first to do that. Uh, but what we're doing is adding a lot more security functionality to it because the way that a lot of people implement this, it's, it's a little bit dangerous. Uh, we're making it so like we're working with a company called Blockade and building all these security functionality to make it so that these um, this one click trading is, is much safer. Um, and then we're working on a lot of like onboarding stuff. You know, our, our goal is how do we get to the point that people can onboard into Osmosis without needing a to install any sort of Chrome extension or anything like that. Or, you know, we're working on a mobile app as well. But how do you start using the mobile app without needing to copy your private key from like one device to another. We're building out a lot of this kind of track stack and I, I hope it'll be used by more Cosmos chains as well. So, you know, uh, Zion is one Cosmos chain that's planning on using our stack and I hope DYDX will eventually adopt it as well. Nice. I love to focus on the user experience. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for coming on, Sunny. Now, Thanks moving on to a hot seat Kuzone segment. Thanks guys. Now moving on into the hot seat cruise drone segment. This week I'm gonna pass it off to Westy first. Westy, who do you have in the hot seat or cruise drone? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely want to start us off here with a cool throne, which is Uniswap, which finally, I guess, enacted where there's a proposal to enact the fee switch. So specifically, Uniswap Foundation hit the forums to what they call activate Uniswap protocol governance by basically allowing uni token holders who have delegated and now stake their tokens to receive a portion of protocol fees. Uh, they cite the reason for doing this uh, to facilitate better governance participation in the protocol. Because right now, I think less than 10% of all circulating uni tokens vote on any given proposal, which is really low participation. And they're hoping this kind of mechanism encourages stale uni to be delegated and have that uni actually be active in voting on proposals. Um, I think this is a pretty, obviously, good idea. Uh, it's been in the works for a while. Gauntlet has actually done some research in the past simulating the Uniswap fee switch, what that would look like in terms of the impact it would have on liquidity, TVL, swap volume, because including an additional fee will obviously change uh, the calculations when it comes to uh, traders, when it comes to people providing liquidity, and whether it's worth it uh, for them compared to alternatives. Um, and they also looked at which pools would be most affected by the fee switch. And interestingly, those pools were particularly ones with high competition. So for example, stable swaps were one of those because you have things like the three pool on curve uh, with a lot of competition for liquidity. So any amount of additional fees will uh, help competitors uh, inch out when it comes to arbitragers or uh, people going through aggregators, et cetera. Uh, I did some math myself on what the protocol revenue could look like. Um, so if we assume that governance decides to add the protocol fee switch to the same pools that Uniswap Labs chose, which is just like WEATH and ETH swaps between stables, as well as stable swaps between unlike stables. So like uh, Euro stables to USDC, et cetera. Um, and if they choose pools like that, um, if we look at 
you know, a 5%, 10% or 15% fee switch, it would be 9.4 million, 18.8 million or 28.2 million uh, annual revenue contributed by the fee switch. Um, and if we assume the, the highest, the 15% there, then state in a 50% stake rate, then the stake staking returns would only be 0.75% uh, percent APR for stakers, which is on the lower side for sure compared to other DeFi apps that allow staking. But I also did some calculations looking at like moon math, what the highest potential revenue under uh, the fee switch could be. So I, I looked at all pairs that have a fee and could be included in the fee switch and looked at Uniswap's highest monthly volume, which was December, 2021. And a 15% fee switch there would mean 221 million in annual revenue, uh, which would contribute to a 5.3% APR at a 50% stake rate. So it looks much better in sort of bull market territory. And as you add more pools, obviously. Um, but yeah, it looks like based on the proposal as it's currently written, it looks like the fee switch will be, be between 10 to 25% because they're going to be using whole number fractions uh, extracting from the, the, the fee in its current state. So this means they're going to start at one tenth, but you can go one ninth, one eighth, one seventh, et cetera, to, to one fourth of the fee that they're currently collecting. And that will go to the protocol instead of LPs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see how this plays out um, with what governance decides to do with respect to which pools are used, how large the fee switch is going to be itself. But yeah, it's just a long time coming and I'm glad to see them try it out. Yeah, I think like Mentity, it's kind of interesting sort of dynamic here, right? Like previously, Uni, from a financial financial perspective, has zero value accrual. So like it should be valued <laughs> as zero, kind of. Um, but you could also argue that like before this thesis proposal came out, people were basically pricing in the probability of a thesis proposal and also pricing in how much uh, revenue that thesis would come in. So I guess with this proposal, basically from like a mathematics perspective, the probability the probability became much higher. And this time I think it's like a lot higher chance of passing through because it was proposed by the Uniswap Foundation themselves rather than like some random other entity. And I don't think they would do so without having gone through like the correct like legal checks and talking to the big delegates or the big token holders knowing that they had their support. But then on the other hand, right, you could also say like if you're holding like the uni token in a bull market or like any token, to be honest, like does 1%, 3% or like a 5% APR really move the needle? I guess at the end of the day, having yield and sort of that financial value is still a lot more uh, valuable than having no financial value and the uni token kind of just being a governance token. I like how that they're sort of intertwining uh staking and delegation with this sort of like fee switch i think that makes sense it shouldn't just be a fee switch for every single uni token holder that you can claim as long as you have like the uni uh token in your wallet i think having an engaged like delegate system and active one that's incentivized in the right way is really really important especially for an ecosystem as large as uni who nowadays i think are thinking a lot more like uh granularly about the strategy or sort of a lot more intentionally, right? You're seeing them talking about like cross-chain token incentives with Uniswap V4 and Uniswap X growing. I think those strategy discussions become a lot more important and Uniswap realizes that it's kind of been lacking a little, you know, it's kind of just been sitting, enjoying its market share on mainnet, but not really thinking about like its overall strategy on other chains. Sure, they have their like product strategy, super like toned down. Oh, sorry, not toned down, but like... um. They've honed, honed in on their product strategy, but not so much their like crossing strategy. And I think all in all, a good move. Obviously, a lot of these other DeFi tokens experience a re-rate higher too. But to be honest, like a lot of other tokens have a fee switch on already. Or for example, there's another subset that really don't have that much in fees to distribute. So yeah, but a good move for the industry as a whole. For either of you guys who actually follow Uniswap more closely than I do, what is the the bull case on Uniswap growing fee revenue beyond just simple spot uh, fee take rates? Like, it, I, I guess, like, is there perps coming down the line? Is there like what what is supposed to ultimately increase 
revenue for Uniswap, like through V4 and other things? If I had to guess, it would be two things. The first is V4 and Hux finding some way to internalize MEV into the protocol rather than sort of leaking that value to searchers and builders. I think a whole host of like MEV related hooks come online once V4 comes on in Q3. And at some point, Uniswap may see like a good one and say, hey, this one's really good for our protocol. It's good for our LPs too. And we want to internalize this. And that would result in God knows how much in potential free revenue. I think the other sort of uh, X factor is Uniswap X, no pun intended. Um, at some point, I think Uniswap X becomes like a pretty liquid like cross-chain bridge. And I'm not sure if they charge a fee on it today, but it wouldn't be too crazy for them to charge a fee on it, especially given the sort of like brand stickiness that Uniswap has. So I think those are the two main excess like methods of value accrual beyond just like the spot product today. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, trying to release new products. It seems like, like Ren said, with Uniswap V4 coming up and Uniswap X, as well as the Uniswap wallet, it seems like they're just continuously building new products that at some point in time will accrue value to the protocol or, or to uh, the labs or foundation, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, what going back to what Ren said, I agree that this kind of design where they're sort of marrying both delegation and the, the staking rewards is like a really good one because it does facilitate that governance participation. And also while I gave uh, some of the numbers for staking rate, like even though the it'll be pretty small, I think just having staking in general is enough for people to lock up their capital because there's something psychological about the fact that you have an asset and now you have a place to lock it and put it somewhere. Like that is definitely um, something people are going to uh, look at and participate in. Um, and I just think this is a, a good design as is. Um, but yeah, I'm, the things I'm particularly interested in is what percentage take rate they choose because it can have a meaningful impact on the protocol itself and whether, you know, arbitragers, MEV bots, aggregators, swap through Uniswap, because if you go too high, then they'll go to competitors. And again, I, I definitely recommend reading the Gauntlet report uh, because they go through a few different scenarios and how to, that'll impact total volume TVL. And so, yeah, I'm just interested to see how this changes not only Uniswap, but the dynamics between AMMs and order flow in general. All right, next we have Brick. Brick, who do you have on the hot seat of Kuton this week? Yeah, I have um, Blast in the Cool Throne just because of their kind of growth strategy that they're, they've been implementing. Or actually, I don't know if they should be half and half in both Cool Throne and Hot Seat. But um, yeah, they just tweeted that Mainnet main is launching on February 29th. Um, and yet, what I was like referring to when saying that they might or maybe should be in the Hot Seat is because like, when they first opened the posits, there were um, quite a lot of debate about like how it was done with some kind of shady marketing speech of like um, people becoming pre-rich and things like that. And then also a lot of people were bashing the fact that they didn't have a functioning chain yet. Um, but especially the latter part, I don't really, or I didn't have a problem with it back then and don't have a problem with it right now. Like. I think that they just executed really well on their kind of BD strategy with gamifying the whole project and like, yeah, it helped that they had a like really um, big name backers and then of course already a proven like founder, but um, the way that like, yeah, you could earn points, you could invite your friends and earn more points. They kind of created this flywheel for like gaining capital and then by getting like, or you get points by uh, like doing these spins and that also makes it more gamified. So it's like giving current crypto users what they want to use. Um, and now they've got over 2 billion in TVL. So 
with that much locked capital, it becomes easier to then, you know, attract builders. And they also ran this um, big bank competition, which got over 3000 submissions from projects. Um, probably a lot of uh, farmers at that point as well, but I think they chose around 50 projects that they're like gonna help out with or like, um, you know, advertise or whatever it's called. Um, and yeah, like, okay, uh, coming back to the hot seat part, like I think from time to time, they're maybe a bit too aggressive um, on the like advertisement side. So again, they had like, I guess, posted about the project called Risk on Blast through their Twitter page, which a lot of people read as, okay, this has to like be a super well deeded project and there's no way this is going to rug. And then I think the rumor around the street is right now that around 400 or 500 ETH got collected by the project. And now like all the socials are deleted and uh, the founders aren't known. So yeah, that's like one way or easy way to shoot yourself in the foot if um, like you do these advertisement things uh, too aggressively. Um, and yeah, a final part that I want to mention is um, I've been looking at Blast, the NFT exchange, quite a lot recently. And um, their season three is ending in May uh, of this year. And like all of the rewards for this season are coming from Blast. So a lot of people think it's going to be the native token. Um, and 50% of like all the rewards are going to... Um, Oh, did I said blast the exchange? I meant blur. <laughs> we knew what you meant. We knew what yeah. you meant. <laughs> uh, please do some editing work there. But yeah, the blur the NFT exchange. Um, and yeah, fifty percent of the like all of the rewards are going to like blur depositors. Um, but once this season like ends, um, blur probably has to come up with like a new either like implement some kind of a value accrual mechanism for the blur token or then continue like funneling some kind of rewards for blur stakers because otherwise there's like from season two uh they released like 200 or 300 300 million blur tokens to the market um and a lot of people back then thought that there would be like huge sell pressure coming from that but with this like deposit slash taking strategy, um, they managed to curve that. But yeah, if going forward there like nothing exceptional happens or um, like Blur doesn't implement a new exchange mechanism or something like that, then I think that token could be in some trouble going forward. But yeah, that's all I had. Any thoughts? I think as a space has progressed like obviously gamification has become more and more rampant and i don't think that's even something that's limited to crypto i think that's just like a general societal trend right like anything that can be gamified will be gamified especially for example these like online live streaming shopping like online like shopping live streams like those are probably like the most dopamine hitting like experiences one can have or just like walking into like a digital casino and i think blast did that right to be honest like both from a builder and a sort of um depositor perspective right uh, i think you see a lot of i think you will see a lot of l2s or like whatever like app chains copy this playbook because it's a chicken and egg problem you know like you want capital but the capital wants something to do so you lock up this capital for a certain period of time uh and then you have in blast case two billion in TBL, and then devs get super excited because you know like there's two billion in TBL, which obviously you're in it for like an airdrop. They want to go completely degen and go ham for the airdrops. And now you incentivize all of these builders to come to your chain and build. I mean, three thousand projects is pretty insane. Sure, some of them are like probably just scams or like GitHub <laughs> commits. Um, but still, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty crazy number, and I think they just played it right so much um and it's just going to be a playbook that's going to be copied more and more did the yield sort of did the yield bearing component help that much 
probably not that much, but I think just mentally it's good knowing that like your asset is being productive and has yield similar to like the uni fee switch. It's just a good like uh, mental unblock for you to actually have a reason to deposit rather than just like thinking, oh, sure, I'm getting points, but my capital is just sitting there and not doing anything. And yeah, I don't know whether Blast projects are going to urge up to, for example, everyone that holds E for stable coins in the bridge, but I wouldn't be too surprised to be honest. I also think as a part of that big bang competition, it's like the airdrop is half to users and, and depositors and then half to protocols. So if you were on that list of winning projects and you receive a like basically a shit ton of the blast token and you can use that to attract users and get people to try out your products like this, just the execution plan here is so perfect. And as much as like we all hated it the day it was announced and we figured out, all right, everyone's just depositing billions of dollars into this multi-sig. Like, yes, that was terrible optics, but it worked. And I think we're in the early innings of blast and I personally didn't deposit over there, but I'm excited to bridge over there and, and try some apps out because I do think there's some interesting use cases with native yield bearing stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree with all you what you guys have said. I was definitely a blast hater when it first came out, just with the the marketing and the fact that the chain wouldn't exist for multiple months. But looking back, I agree with everything that this was actually the correct strategy by like you said, having native yield itself isn't the biggest game changer, but it definitely attracted enough people to lock two billion dollars worth of capital. Like the fact that it wasn't launched for three months allowed for these deposits and then for them to actually attract good developers to build good products. And so at this point, it's really impossible to fade um, with $2 billion of automatic deposits as it's going live with many projects that are going to be on the chain as mainnet hits. Like I can't imagine how this doesn't do extremely well, but at the same time, like you definitely need to be careful with a lot of the new projects because just as much as the two billion dollars in tvl attracts good developers it also attracts a lot of bad developers and people looking to rug just to, like the risk on blast team etc so i'd be pretty careful with which projects you you invest in or buy their token etc but i do think it's definitely a place to pay attention to especially if you're a dgen like us and in the weeds yeah, I do have to say that I feel like we fumbled this one a little. I remember when Blast first came out, I think probably for a solid two hours in our company Slack, it was like, what are we doing in this industry? I hate it here. And it's just like nonstop. Everyone could not get over like the square point systems, like the pre-rich marketing. And we were just like, I hate it here so much. But I mean, yeah, in hindsight, now I think it was like a really good move. But at that moment, I was like, dude, what are we doing here? But I mean, at the end of the day, where crypto is today, the users are like 99.9% .9 just here to speculate and gamble. So you might as well give the users what they want. I also want to add there that I wasn't in that boat. I wasn't roasting from the beginning. So don't put me in there, bro. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Don't fade break. I think that's a lesson we've learned over the past few months. What's up, everyone? March is approaching fast, and I want to give you another reminder not to miss out on DAS London. It is coming. It's right around the corner, and it's in March from the 18th to the 20th. We have three full days of content. This is your chance to bump shoulders with some of the world's top executives and have open dialogue with both attendees and speakers. We're going to be focusing on a range of topics that I'll let Ren discuss for you. First on the list, we have Bitcoin Catalyst, the halving and spot ETF. Next, we have a view from the buy side from investors on things like strategy, portfolio allocation, and more. We also have a topic on RWA's tokenization and stable points, which I think we can all agree are going to play a large role in crypto's future. We'll also talk about global regulatory frameworks like compliance best practices and the evolution of global standards that are shaping the global investment landscape. We'll also have someone from an institutional front to talk about infrastructure such as banking and payments with financial giants like Visa and JP Morgan. And last on the list, the macro case for digital assets. So don't miss out on this monumental event and seats are limited, so be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London. Next, Sam, do you want to give us your hot seat coup drone? Yeah, absolutely. You actually alluded to it in the uh, news and governance updates a little bit ago, but I've got ordinals in the cool throne today. No one seems to really realize it because it's hard to like 
find a good data source on ordinals volume globally, as well as it's difficult to um, just basically get any data on Bitcoin ordinals, as well as like holistic views of of NFT volumes, uh, generally speaking. But some numbers just to like put it into perspective, Node Monks did 2.75 million of volume over the last 24 hours. Bitcoin Puppets did 2.4 million and R6 did 1.25 million. And Mad Lads and Tensorians, on the other hand, did 600K and 2 million respectively. And then the two largest by volume collections on Ethereum were D-Gods and Azuki, and each of them did 1.8 million roughly. So ordinals are dominating the volume wars and no one seems to really notice. I was looking at Magic Eden's numbers earlier today and I saw that 43,000 unique ordinals buyers were active on the platform in February versus 73,000 for Solana. So there's still more users in interacting with Solana-based NFTs on Magic Eden. But despite this fact, they brought in $1.5 million of fees on Ordinal's purchases versus just $1 million for Solana. So in my opinion, all of the signs are pointing to Ordinal season continuing, if not heating up even more from here. Um, and I think uh, it's just the early innings. Like if you go into some of the discords and some of these projects that are well-connected with good founders, with good intentions who are early in Ordinal's, there is random airdrops, whitelist giveaways for minting things for free. And like you can pretty much earn your money back just paying attention to these discords and participating in some of these things that are popping up. And it reminds me so much of Ethereum NFTs before last cycle when they really took off. And it's not really fair to compare them because obviously they've already gotten a lot of hype so far. But I just think the market size for this thing is is really large and it's also super memeable because there's a ton of people who hate the idea of ordinals and then you can just respond to them and be like thanks for storing my ordinal on your bitcoin node that you're running in your basement as a maxi because like it's just it's so perfect and it makes me laugh and i think some people are worried about the longevity as like l2s and like in the bitcoin ecosystem proliferate but i kind of look at the ethereum landscape and we never saw that actually happen with L2s. Like you look at Arbitrum, Optimism, et cetera, NFT volumes, and it is laughable in comparison to Ethereum mainnet. And so I think there's true value in having these like fine art collections on the actual base layer. So this is a space I'm watching really closely, especially as Rune season kicks off around the halving in April. Um, yeah, Ordinals on the Cool Throne was a very easy pick for me this week, but curious if you guys have any thoughts. Yeah, I strongly agree that, you know, ordinals are something to look out for. I definitely am comparing it to Ethereum NFTs, especially last cycle. We saw how crazy things got as ETH's price rose. People were just looking for places to park their capital and flex their newfound wealth. And NFTs were the perfect example of that. And we're seeing that play out in Bitcoin land, which I think will honestly be a much bigger market given just the size of Bitcoin itself. The fact that ordinals are popular in many different geographies around the world, the fact they've had this most momentum already, despite being extremely hard to buy or, like you said, find data on. Like, I just think this trend is going to continue uh, for a pretty long time. Uh, I'm definitely watching the ordinal space. And also I'm watching Magic Eden, which huge credit to them because uh, Tensor has kind of been eating their lunch when it comes to Solana NFTs and their volume and trading, etc., but this pivot to trading Bitcoin ordinals, I think, is a huge one. They're definitely, I believe, the primary place in which people are trading these ordinals. They have a great user experience. Um, and yeah, I'm just just huge credit to them for finding this niche and, and deciding to basically pivot a little bit. But they're really finding their footing now. Yeah, and it's, it's, it seems that in... Um... Like when it comes to NFTs and them doing good, uh, the playbook is that you need to find a group of people who uh, get along well and like create these strong communi communities. But then you need to have like an opposite side to those people who are like, yeah, yelling at people that no, don't inscribe these things on chain. Or last cycle, you had just like overall people saying that why would anybody buy these like JPEGs? I can just like copy paste this and whatever. Um, and that seems to be like good fuel for uh, these things to start growing larger and larger. Also, big shout out, Sammy, because you talked about this about like two or three months ago already. And like, I think you got it back then, but I have to give your your credits. 
<laughs> I love it. Thanks, Brick. Um, I'm curious though, out of you four, who here, ha or out of you three, God, I'm counting myself, who here has actually bought an ordinal? Has everyone, or because I'm willing to bet at least one of the four of us has not. I have not, but I've gone to Magic Eden and and thought about buying one. <laughs> <laughs> I I have. I've bought a few ordinals. Brick? Have you, Brick? Yeah, I've played around, played around with it and I'm still so mad about my, or for to myself because the Node Monkeys Mint was on Christmas Day, I think, or something like that, where I was thinking like, nah, I, I don't have time to look at this right now. And now I'm really beating myself for it. <laughs> I think everyone is, but I just think that's a testament to the fact that it's still pretty early. Like it's totally new infrastructure. You need to download a new wallet. You need to like get used to the denominations like there's just friction there and the migration is happening very slowly but i find it interesting that even in like this group of us four there's not 100 of us who are super crypto native always on chain doing different stuff trying things that haven't bought an ordinal yet like if we haven't done it there's so many other people who are gonna do it and i guess i should say that this is not financial advice and i wouldn't go too crazy here but I just find the dichotomy of this and the slow migration over to ordinals like very interesting. That's yeah. cool. Just give me more FOMO. No, it's fine. <laughs> I think like maybe from like a slightly mid-take, like Bitcoin is the largest asset or like crypto asset. I know crypto asset's not an actual term. It's one that Gary Gensler made up, but uh Bitcoin is the largest asset by market cap, right? And that capital has been sitting there for God knows how long and has always been unproductive. There's probably like God knows how many people sitting on like tens of millions of Bitcoin and they've been looking for something to do, some way to like flex your status instead of just holding like 20 million in Bitcoin in like a cold wallet. And Ordinals, like Ordinals is your solution, right? There has to be like an insane amount of Chinese whales and then add into that the Bitcoin ecosystem in general and sort of productive uses of your capital whether that's like restaking with like babylon and like generating yield uh on your bitcoin like i i feel like people are not ready for like bitcoin city season and the, the metric i like to use is how much bitcoin stuff there is on my wechat feed and just every single month there is more and more bitcoin like all of these chinese vcs are investing into like completely pointless like bitcoin l2s but the money is flowing there for sure and then on top of that, it's like if you've got $20 million of Bitcoin, you're probably going to be pretty hesitant to deposit into one of these L2s because like, let's face it, they're not real L2s. Like you can't actually use Bitcoin, the asset on a layer two in a completely secure and trustless manner. So I think you're going to forego those trust assumptions and maybe dabble in the ordinals market instead because it is self-custodial. It's all on chain. Like you're completely secured by the Bitcoin network. Like this is a completely safe thing to partake in. So if you're going to speculate, you're probably going to do it at the ordinal layer. And you're probably like, because there's nothing else. Like with Ethereum, you have NFTs, which is a niche, but you also have DeFi, you have GameFi, you have all of this other stuff that you're competing with Mindshare for, but on Bitcoin's base layer, it's ordinals and that's it. So I guess now I'm really giving Westy FOMO, so maybe this is a good time to pass it over to Ren for the uh, his hot seat or cool throne. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, this week I have WorldCoin in the hot seat. I wouldn't say it's like entirely in the hot seat, but a little in the hot seat just because price went up a bit too fast. WorldCoin is currently sitting at a 1 billion market cap, but it's sitting at a 81 billion FTV. So this is like low float, high FTV to the max. Um, it's ripped up 4x in the past month. And to be honest, like the supply dynamics are relatively interesting. 75% of the supply is earmarked for the community and unlocked over 15 years. 6 billion out of the total 10 billion in supply is allocated for users. And the token is only given out when people sign up, right? Um, so technically, the higher the liquid supply, the more adoption it should have in terms of people that have scanned the eyeball. But I also know that they've recently started out giving sort of world coin token rewards to just people that have a wallet slash account already. I think, sure, on one hand, you can be like cynical and saying like, dude, this is disgusting. Like, WorldCoin shouldn't be at uh, 81 billion FTV. But I think OpenAI Sora was kind of the catalyst, right? People went like, holy crap. Like, some of the videos you saw come off OpenAI Sora were shockingly realistic. And 
I'm not sure how WorldCoin and like proof of personhood will be the solution for that, but just sort of like the narrative in saying you need some way to prove either like a human is a human or like some content was human generated plays really, really well into WorldCoin's vision. Sure, they only have like 3 million wallet addresses today. I don't think a proof of personhood solution might solve like AI generated content in its current state, but the narrative is definitely there. And then on the other hand, you have sort of tangential catalyst, right? I think conference season is just getting started. You have Eve Denver starting this week and the amount of AI events at Eve Denver, both by sort of large VCs or large AI projects is so numerous. Like there's an event every day and it's packed. And I think as conference season happens, like that circle joke becomes really strong. People go like, oh my God, oh my God, AI, AI is going to change everything. And from a slightly more like left curve perspective, right? Like Filecoin reached like 400 billion FTB. And that thing probably makes like six digits in revenue or probably less a year, maybe more. I'm not really sure. I haven't checked. Don't hate me if I get it wrong. Um, but if Filecoin can reach 400 billion FTB last cycle, what could Worldcoin reach, you know? And then Sam Altman's sure saying like, oh yeah, I want to raise like $7 trillion for my chip company. Like, And Worldcoin is kind of like Sam Altman's starting. So yeah, I think it's going to be like a hated, a hated token. Like it's up so much already, but I think there's still so much upside. Of course, not financial advice, um, but I feel like the catalysts are there. However, there are definitely like supply unlocks and like um, more supply coming online. So that's something to always be wary of. This kind of remind, or yeah, this isn't financial advice either, but like uh, seeing this like world coin rally uh, has kind of changed my mindset of how I think about allocating in my own portfolio. Like um, before this kind of bull market started, I was thinking that, okay, if, if the FDB is really too high, I'm not going to touch that thing because everybody knows that it's not sustainable. Um, but now I understand that that's not true in crypto land right now. So like what I'm trying to do is find these like low float, high FDV projects or like things that could uh, become like high FDV and then looking for narratives or like drivers that are hard to quantify, um, like the potential of as in is with like this world coin stuff. Like nobody really knows what's going to happen with AI or how fast AI will go forward and like how this world coin stuff even like ties into it. So it becomes a narrative that's kind of easier to sell. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with like low float, high FDV stuff, but I just think that it's funny that at some point it has to come down um, and people are still willing to like bet on it and gamble on it, um, which is an interesting phenomenon because I don't think we see that in TradFi markets right now or ever pretty much. Guys, the number is $7 trillion. Like people are definitely pricing this based on how much money Sam Altman is raising or like that is a quarter of the US's GDP last year. Like that is an incredible number. And so as a result, like obviously these things get repriced. And yeah, there's some factors of the FDVs pushed out over 15 years, et cetera. But people are definitely pricing in that WorldCoin, I guess, achieves its vision of becoming UBI. I know Sam Altman right now is conducting studies on UBI and its impacts on the world. And if those studies come back positive, he's obviously going to point to, hey, I've WorldCoins, this private sector decentralized open UBI is probably the better solution, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, the higher this thing goes, the more valuable it becomes, et cetera. But on sort of the flip side with such a high FTV and constant unlocks and the fact that if you, this does achieve quote unquote UBI, people will be selling their world coin for dollars of the currency of their choice. So there's constant sell pressure. And there needs to be buyers on the other side in order to sustain the price level. So the question is, I guess, who is the buyer on the other side? There needs to be stuff built on WorldCoin's chain uh, that potentially uses their proof of humanity system, et cetera. Um, maybe who was on the bid side is Sam Altman or similar figures just trying to prop up the, the value of this thing in order to 
create a sustainable flywheel, et cetera. But yeah, I just don't see how at some point this doesn't slowly unwind as people, as the sell pressure builds up and there's not enough bids, but that could take many years. But, and especially as the AI progress continues at the rate it has, like this thing could continue to pump and pump uh, higher than we could even imagine. Yeah, regretfully, I have faded the the AI narrative for the most part. I've got like a small bag of towel, but nothing significant. And it's just something that I've kind of come to terms with. I'm like, okay, like this is not something I understand at all. The FDVs are going to get ludicrous. This is going to be a game of hot potato for maybe one week or maybe two years throughout the cycle. I really don't know. But what it comes down to for me is I don't actually believe that today or in the next few years that there's a genuine crypto use case with AI that's going to make a material worldwide impact. I do think that will come eventually, but like most things in crypto, I just think it's a little bit too early and I'd much rather wait until uh, prices are super, super low in the middle of a bear market after the bubble pops and start looking at things then. So that's kind of my plan of attack for this. I think the universal basic income point that Wesley mentioned was really interesting. Uh, I saw a tweet this morning. I don't know if this is true. I need to verify it. But someone wrote that starting this week, 10 million Worldcoin tokens, which is worth roughly 80 million as of current prices, will stream a week to retail wallets over the following two weeks and will continue doing so every two weeks after at higher rates. So if we take their 3 million wallet wallet addresses today, that's roughly... (laughs) 25 like 25 dollars um for wallet like sure that isn't a lot but it's a good flywheel you know and i would guess the majority of world coin like orb scans are in developing countries and in those countries 25 dollars goes a super long way and if you're making 25 dollars a week from just scanning your eyeball <laughs> you are definitely shitting scanning your eyeball to like all of your neighbors and like yo dude just go sign your eyeballs you can like buy like god knows what for like two weeks with this 25 dollar payout and there was this interesting point that worldcoin had in their white paper so the full paragraph reads while network effects will ultimately come from useful applications being built on top of the financial and identity infrastructure the token is issued to all network participants to align their incentives around the growth of the network this is especially important early on to bootstrap the network and bypass the code start problem. But the last sentence is, this could lead the world coin token to become the wildest, uh, sorry, the widest distributed digital asset. Maybe the wildest too. Um, but I think that's a very possible scenario. You know, say five years later, world coin scans have gone absolutely ballistic. There's more people that own world coin, the token than Bitcoin or Ethereum around the world and sure like maybe there aren't that many use cases for it but i think at some point this is like a personal thesis of mine i think at some point like big tech has a reckoning moment where marketers say that okay i'm i don't want to spend my ad budget on your social media platform because 90 percent of the views and interactions and clicks are completely fake inorganic or different bot activity and a world coin appears on your doorstep and say hey we're the only proof of personhood solution in the world with 50 million signups. Use us or you lose 50% of your revenue because people and marketers have been paying for like nothing in the past like five years. And I think that moment will come. I don't know when it will come, but I think the AI problem of sort of like generated content, fake activity will only go exponential from here for better or for worse. Is WLD AI money? It could be. I'll tell you what, it's definitely not ETH though. <laughs> just don't let Stride get a hold of it. <laughs> I guess just one last point that um this is super random thoughts too, but Sam Sam was saying like he doesn't see a very valuable use case for AI. But if you read like Brick's AI X crypto report, right? You know that I think Brick is like relatively bullish, like AI agents. And I think AI agents, like right now, they may not make a lot of sense. You know, it's just like AI agents, like transacting on chain, they're like helping you like bet, they're helping you like trade in the prop markets, they're helping like to do like super rudimentary transactions. But I think at some point, AI replaces like a large amount of like white collar or even like 
maybe not blue collar, but white collar work. Um, and all of those could be AI agents built on some decentralized open source protocol, right? And then the community sort of like submits their own AI agents who has the best, like, I don't know, the data entry AI agent, <laughs> Excel, like DCF AI agent. And that has like an incredible amount of value capture because if you're a company and you're paying some like investment bank or like 150K a year and you can pay an AI agent like 60K a year and he does like a relatively okay job too, you probably take that five years down the road. And having all of that built on like an open source decentralized network is a pretty damn cool idea that I think has like actual value in the world. Of course, it's probably a bit too early and there's like a lot more AI ideas that I'm personally excited about, but I think that's just like a random idea ahead. I just think people get like too caught up and ahead of themselves with all this stuff. Like, yes, chat GPT is awesome. Don't get me wrong. But do you guys actually like I use it in niche use cases and it's also takes me three or four tries to get the prompt to spit out exactly what it is that I'm looking for. Like these things are not tools that are ready for mass adoption on their own, in my opinion. And now we're just sprinkling crypto on top and saying like different buzzwords like that's honestly what I see. It feels like a forced narrative on crypto Twitter, to be completely honest. I know that's going to be a hated take. And once again, I'm going to double down on the fact I do think AI agents will be huge. I just think it's going to take five to 10 years to actually play out. And we're going to see a lot of booms and busts in between. I actually think that's a pretty good take. Like, especially uh, comparing at the valuations, some of this stuff is going at. Um, I was just recently thinking about this, like, now it's probably easier than ever to just like create some documents, um, throw some buzzwords in, create your Twitter page for some AI related project, and then just release a token and say that, okay, we're going to build this at some point. Now we're doing this and this stuff. And then let's say in two years, we have a good product and like your token valuation will go through the sky because everybody is just like trying to front run each other in this vertical and as you said earlier some like not a lot of people understand what's happening so it's like i see ai i buy and that's the thesis yeah to respond to sam i don't i don't think people are overhyping the progression with which ai like is continuing at its rate like a year ago we were barely using ChatGPT, and it's gotten so much better in the past year, and we have products like last week that were announced Sora from OpenAI, you have text to video, et cetera. And I think just the progression of how good AI is, is just going to increase exponentially over the next few years. And so I don't think people are overhyping how important and quick AI is developing. However, I definitely agree that a lot of these AI related projects within crypto are getting overhyped and overvalued. But as Brick said, like people just they don't know what's going on. They just see this progression and they just spray and pray at what they think could be a potential big solution because they know the market for the stuff will be huge, but no one really knows what kind of solutions will actually work, which ones will win, et cetera. People are just saying, I need to get exposure to this thing immediately and just like throwing money at it. But yeah, eventually this thing will, will unwind will be the top of a bubble and then as sam said maybe that's the time to bid to bid when things sort of calm down for a bit tldr ai to infinity long term everything is overvalued today <laughs> i think that's probably a good point to close it out but thanks Rick and Wesley, for coming on and see you guys next week Thanks for having us. Hey everyone, thanks for watching today's ZeroX Research episode. I wanted to take a second and remind you about our upcoming 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Seats are limited, so hit the link in the description and use the promo code 0x10 to save 10% on tickets. See you in London.